spring break. Yeah, we're like, I guess, the only people who didn't go to the beach or Disney World or Disneyland, but it's good to have you here. Um, and I want to thank uh, Josh and Amelia for leading us in worship tonight. Can we do that? Appreciate them. And uh, they, uh, they stepped in because you may be aware that uh, our music pastor and his wife um, welcomed a bouncing baby boy on Thursday, John Mark Anthony. So they, uh, they're home, uh, probably sleeping and, you know, just everything's probably easy there. So I'm sure you'll probably get to see them next week, uh, but we're excited for them. So one thing that we talk a lot about at Gateway, our gospel conversations, is kind of something that's become more and more part of our DNA. I think mostly because uh, we find it everywhere in Scripture that God has given us a message, a gospel, and He wants us to take that gospel, that message of His love and redemption and salvation to other people. So we talk about it a lot. And about a year and a half ago, if you've been here at Gateway for the last year and a half, you may remember that we started talking about something called Gospel Conversations, and specifically what we said is we have a goal as a church over a five-year period to have 8,000 Gospel Conversations with people who are far from God. And there's a lot packed in there, and we talk a lot about that. But when we talk about having Gospel Conversations, what we mean is having a conversation with somebody about the person of Christ or the work of Christ or what he means to you. What, 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 he's, what has he done for you? How has he saved you? How has he made a difference in your life? And, and God wants us to talk to people about that. And so as a, as a church, we, we talk about having these conversations with people far from God. So there are probably people in your life who know the Lord, love the Lord, and it's great to talk to them about the Lord. But we don't want to forget the people who are far from God. And we use that term kind of generically, like for a lot of people in our world, we're not really sure how far they are from God, but we know they're not walking with God. And so we want to share the gospel with them from time to time. And we picked 8,000. 8,000 we didn't just take out of a hat, but we kind of, we, we looked at some studies that sociologists have done, and they said in a community our size, to have 8,000 conversations over a five-year period is what they call reaching a saturation point in your community. And that's what we want to do. We want to saturate our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to saturate our coffee shops and, and our schools and uh, places of government and business so that when you go in there, it's just typical that you hear people talking about Jesus. And over the last year and a half, it's been awesome to see that more and more. You practically cannot go into a coffee shop, which, which we have like 60 of them, right, in our community. You can hardly go in there without seeing someone from Gateway in there at any time that's talking about Jesus. And I know it because sometimes when I see you or other people from Gateway in a coffee shop, I walk by really slow, and it may, you may think I'm listening to you, and I am. Because um, I want to hear what you're talking about. And oftentimes, it's about Jesus. And we're always looking for ways to encourage you with that. So a couple months ago, I um, got a chance to meet John Roselle. And John is with Crew uh, in the Portland metro area. You may also know them as Campus Crusade for Christ. And uh, we support John, uh, support Crew over there. And uh, John's job, basically, I think he spends a lot of his time going around to college campuses, uh, talking to Christians about the Lord, supporting them, encouraging them, building them up, organizing them, and talking with uh, people who are far from God about Jesus Christ as well. And not only in Portland Metro, but also Clark College as well, right? And so I know that he's run into some of you there. And I got a chance to listen to John uh, speak a little bit about um, gospel conversations, and I thought we've got to get him into Gateway. And so what we're going to do today and next week is a little bit unorthodox, not quite what we usually do, but I really, really wanted you to hear this. So I didn't warn you we were doing this, right? I didn't tell you we were doing this. I just wanted you to show up. And then I would introduce John, and he would talk to you about having gospel conversations. So John, 
Welcome. Can we welcome them to the stage? That's fun. Thank you. Yeah, I came here last week and it was a pleasant surprise to see students from like four different campuses uh, that I knew, so I automatically felt at home here. And uh, yeah, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to share with you tonight. So I, I grew up in Kansas in a Christian family, went to Christian school, kindergarten through high school. Despite that, through high school and college, drugs and alcohol seemed a little more relevant to my daily life than Jesus did. And I, I moved away from Kansas, went to school in Montana, and when I went to school there, I, I got connected to Crew or Campus Crusade for Christ. And through that process, the Lord really just got a hold of my life and, and transformed me. And I started making some deeper relationships with students involved with Crew. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with winters in Montana, but they're really long. And the Mar that March, I remember hearing that Crew students were going on a spring break trip to San Diego. The idea of spending a week in sunny San Diego was pretty appealing, but the thing that kind of worried me about crew was they really liked to go talk to people about Jesus. And I knew that at this conference, that was going to be a day of it, as we were going to go on college campuses and talk to people about Jesus, and that was fine for them. But I had stopped doing drugs like six months prior to that. I had more questions than I did answers, like who was I to go talk to somebody about what they should believe? But the idea of spending a week in sunny San Diego went out, and I went. And so the day of outreach came, and my buddy Dan and I uh, go out on campus, and the Lord really had been changing our lives. We wanted people to know Jesus, but we were definitely works in progress. And so we were super intimidated, and for some reason we walk up to like the biggest guy on campus who's sitting at this table outside, and we just really awkwardly walk up to him and say, hey, excuse me, we're, uh, we're wondering if we could, I mean, if you'd be willing to answer some questions about spirituality, but if you don't want to do that's fine, we can leave. And he says... Yeah, that's cool if I can ask you some questions first. Well, yeah, okay, well, what questions do you have for us? He said, well, I'm, I'm writing a speech for public speaking, and I'm either going to write about legalizing pot or gay marriage. Like, what do you think I should write about? It was like 15 years ago. And so I'd say, well, you know, everybody's talking about legalizing pot, but gay marriage, like, yeah, nobody's really talking about that. I guess, I guess write about that. So he says, okay, well, that's a good point. What questions do you guys have for me? So we start asking some questions about spiritual beliefs, what he believes and why and how he got to that point and ended up having an incredible conversation with him about who Jesus is and what he's done. Again, it was really awkward on our part. Um, we were still trying to figure out how to have conversations with people. At the end of the conversation, this guy leans over the table and like really suspiciously looks over his left shoulder, really suspiciously looks over his right shoulder and he just looks me in the eyes and says, I've got a feeling God sent you guys here to talk to me today. And when he said that, man, it just resonated in my heart as truth. God had picked up these two screwed up guys from Azula, Montana, dropped them off in San Diego for a week, so this guy could have an opportunity to know Jesus. And that blew my mind. I realized that God was at work actively pursuing people. He's willing to use anybody that's willing to be used. And from that point, I wanted in. And I just think that's a beautiful thing that in the midst of this broken world filled with sinners like us in need of a savior, that God by his grace pursues us and invites us to partner with him in his work of sharing him with others. 
And so I've had the privilege for the last 13 years of working with Crew, or Campus Crusade for Christ, and I've had tons of opportunities to practice sharing my faith, made so many mistakes, learned a couple things. Um, and through that process, I've just realized that I'm not a natural at evangelism. I know some people are. They're just naturally really good at it. They'll strike up conversations with anybody, anywhere. Uh, but for me, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of practice. It takes freedom to to mess up, knowing that God's sovereign and he's in control, and ultimately I can't screw it up if I'm seeking to honor him and love people well. And it takes a lot of dependence on the spirit of God to move in and and through me. But Jesus has transformed my life, and he continues to, and I want people to know him. And so that's part of what I love about Gateway's goal, um, is to walk with Jesus and be compelled by his love to share the gospel with 8,000 people. That's awesome. How might this community be transformed by gateway, uh, taking the initiative to honor God in that way? So as Pastor Bob mentioned, this week and next week are going to be a little bit different than a typical Sunday. Uh, we're going to start off, we're going to spend a little bit of time looking in Scripture, uh, making some, some observations about it, and really trying to pull some, some principles about evangelism from it. And then we're going to spend most of our time just thinking through how can we think about evangelism and how can we practically engage in the spiritual lives of other people. It's going to be a little more interactive than most Sundays, so at a couple points, I'm going to need your guys' help, so just a heads up. You guys okay with that? It's going to happen regardless. You've got time to psych yourself up. shouldn't be too scary. But my goal is, is that you would leave here feeling empowered to engage in the spiritual lives of other people. Whether you've never engaged in a spiritual conversation with someone or whether you've been doing it for decades, that you would feel more equipped to engage in people's lives. So let's start uh, by looking at Acts 17, at a passage where Paul is engaging uh, with the people of Athens, and we'll make some observations, draw some evangelistic principles, and then unpack uh, how we can put that into practice. So Acts 17, starting in verse 16. Now while Paul was was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So prior to this, we see that Paul's in Thessalonica. He gets chased out by an angry mob. So he goes to Berea. In both places, he sees God transforming people's lives. People are digging into the scriptures. Uh, But the angry mob follows him there, chase him out of Berea. So he finds himself in Athens. It's not exactly plan A for him. Uh, He's waiting for for Silas and Timothy uh, to go on to Corinth. And, And so that's one of the things that I love about Paul is Um, He doesn't say, okay, God, well, once I get to Corinth, I'll I'll be about your business there. Or, hey, I've been chased out of these last two towns by angry mobs. I'm going to take some time off. I deserve a little little bit of vacation. Or he doesn't argue with God and say, okay, God, once your will aligns to my will, um, then I'll do what you want me to. But uh, being chased by angry mobs isn't exactly what I signed up for. If you're you're taking notes, this is the first point, that wherever God has him, Paul is available to do God's work. I think a lot of times we find ourselves in circumstances where maybe we don't want to be, but maybe God has work for us in the midst of that. In that verse, we see that his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the idols. Other translations say that he was deeply troubled, greatly distressed, greatly upset. So Paul engages with the culture and the people, and he sees the extent of their sin. The interesting thing is he doesn't respond by blaming those people. And he doesn't try to like run away from the culture to make sure that he doesn't get contaminated by it. 
He doesn't put his hope in the political structure thinking if we just got the right person in authority, they would fix these problems. He doesn't ignore the sin, doesn't try to justify it or explain it, but he's saddened by their brokenness. And he takes the initiative to share the hope and the power of the gospel with them, knowing that that's the solution. So the second point is seeing the sin of people moves Paul toward them, not away from him. I mean, that's the gospel, right? Jesus saw our sin and he didn't say, okay, well, you guys are out. Our sin moved him to take the initiative with us, to rescue us. In verses 17 and 18, we see, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. So Paul sees the sin and the brokenness of the city, and he, he moves towards them to talk about Jesus in the resurrection. He goes to the religious center and the grocery store. He talks to anybody who's willing to listen, people who are seeking God, people who are seeking truth, the Epicureans who are seeking pleasure, or the Stoics who are seeking to live a life of moral responsibility and fulfill their duty. Jews, Gentiles, philosophers, anybody who happens to be around. Paul talked to anybody. He doesn't just go to people that already believe the Bible's true, or he doesn't just talk to people that he thinks are going to be open to the gospel. He gives all people an equal opportunity to hear about Jesus. The next point is that Paul doesn't decide for other people if they'll be open to the gospel. He lets them decide for themselves. Shares with anyone. Picking back up in verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Again, Paul doesn't run away from this incredibly corrupt city and culture. He engages with it. He explores it. He interacts with people. He learns about it. And in that process, he experiences some of the gods and the goddesses uh, of the Athenians, which would have been hard to avoid. I mean, temples everywhere. And he's brought to the Areopagus, a place where they discuss matters of religion and culture and education. They want to hear what he has to say. And rather than starting by criticizing the obvious sin of this city, he observes their culture and beliefs and uses those as a way to have a conversation about Jesus. He believes that God is at work in every culture. So he searches for the truth of God in that culture because all truth is God's truth wherever it's found. The next point is that Paul believes God is at work in every culture. So he learns about people and the culture to find those gospel connections. If we keep reading in 24, 
Paul's speaking. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. So the Athenians, I mean, their Greek culture has literally taken over the world at this point in time. So I think it'd be easy for them to find pride in who they are as a people. Um, but, but Paul uses this to level the playing field and let them know that they're not special. They're no better than anyone else. And even with all the obvious differences in the Athenians' culture, Paul decides to start from a place of common ground, emphasizing what humanity has in common, that God gives life and breath. And if that doesn't take you back to the Garden of Eden, when God breathed life into Adam and created male and female in his image, then the next verse should, should make that connection more clear. That he made from one man every nation of mankind. We are all descendants of a common ancestor. Despite all of our differences, there's only one race. Humanity. And we've all been created to seek him to find our purpose and our identity in him. The next point is every person on the planet is an image bearer of God, created to seek him. I often talk about this um, by saying that every person is a spiritual being on a spiritual journey. This is something that we all have in common. And in a world, in a nation with so much division, Conflicts, I think this is a really helpful place for us to begin. So there's a little bit of biblical perspective on evangelism, but let's take a step back for a second. Because I'm guessing there's some of you here tonight who would say, oh yeah, that's great. Like, of course Paul should be talking to people about Jesus. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament, right? I don't have the training that Paul did. I didn't write half of the New Testament. So let's try to think about this a little bit differently. Do any of you guys like magic? I don't know any magic. Um, but are you familiar with Penn and Teller? Pretty famous magicians in Las Vegas. So Penn is a very devout atheist. Um, if you just do a quick search on YouTube for him and the Bible, you'll find all kinds of offensive things that, that he says and believes about Christians in the Bible. Um, honestly, though, I think he has a, a hatred for all religions in general, but just Christianity holds a special place in his heart. And after one of his shows, there was a Christian man that approached him and had an interaction with him. And we're going to watch a five-minute video clip uh, about Penn's response to this. So I just think it's interesting to get an atheist's response to this guy who's trying to evangelize him. And Penn uses the word proselytize a few times. If you're not familiar with that word, it's just not a way of saying evangelize. Or he sees that this guy is trying to share his faith with Penn. So let's watch this, and um, then we'll come back. So what struck you from that? Was it just how significant it was that a kind, nice, sane person engaged with him? How much eye contact 
mattered to Penn. Or the statement, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share with them? I don't hold that up as, as the best example of what evangelism should be. But I think there's a, some significant lessons we can learn from that. And I think one of them is that even a devout atheist is on a spiritual journey. And we get the opportunity to come alongside him and share Christ and hopefully help him take a step closer. And that by doing that, it's one of the most caring and loving things we can do. That's one of the things that shocks me, that even an atheist says that's one of the most caring things we can do as Christians. So every person regardless of their nationality, their political affiliation, sexual orientation, every person on the planet, in your class, down your street, family member, co-worker, is a spiritual being on a spiritual journey, and we get the opportunity to come alongside them and help them take a step closer to Jesus. But the reality is it's hard to actually believe that and live it out on a daily basis, to treat everyone that way. For me, it's easier just to think of people in two categories. There's Christians, and there's non-Christians. And I assume that Christians are the ones that want to talk about Jesus, and non-Christians are the ones that don't. If somebody tells me they're an atheist, I just automatically assume, okay, non-Christian, not interested in Jesus, right? The problem is, is when we put people in these two boxes, we know what they are, We don't know who they are. We don't know what their story is. We don't know what they've experienced, how they've gotten to the place that they are today. And so what happens is that I end up choosing who gets to hear about Jesus based on whether I think they're open to it. Rather than doing what Paul did and just talk to everyone and let them decide for themselves. Next point on the notes is we can't assume where people are spiritually We have to discover it. And so these two boxes, while being theologically true, like I think those are two actual groups of people, people who have put their faith in Christ and those who haven't, practically I find them pretty unhelpful as I try to engage in the lives of of unbelievers. So I want to encourage us to think rather on a spectrum. Rather than these two boxes, to think about people being on a spectrum. And over on this side, we have people who are hostile to the gospel. These are people who are ready to start a fight. If they hear Jesus, religion, Christianity, man, they're going to go at it. Like they're looking for people to have arguments with. Then there's people who are hostile to the gospel. They might be, they may not be trying to start a fight, but if one comes to them, they'll be pretty happy to engage. I think both of these people have often been burned by the church or Christians pretty badly. Then you've got people who are just indifferent to Jesus, the gospel, they're pretty apathetic. They don't care one way or another. Um, They have no interest in it. They're not going to invest any time and energy in trying to find answers. But then you have people who are genuinely open. Like, if they're presented with a thought-provoking idea or a good question, they're going to engage it, and they're going to think about it. And you've got people who are curious. Like, these people are getting online, and they're searching, like, what is the purpose of life, or is there a God? Like, they're actively looking for answers. And then you've got people right here who are seeking. I mean, they're like pounding on the door of the church, right? Saying like, what must I do to be saved? 
And then on this side of the cross, maybe you've got a believer who's just struggling. They're not thriving. They've put their faith in Christ. They've acknowledged him as their Lord and Savior. But they're just not thriving. They're not growing. And then you've got connected believers who are involved in the midst of community. They're growing. They're getting to know Jesus better. They're using their gifts. They're serving others, helping them grow. And so one of the things for me that's helpful about thinking about this spectrum is oftentimes I think what the person who's hostile to the gospel needs is going to be a little bit different maybe than the person who's seeking. Oftentimes, somebody who's hostile to the gospel might just need a kind, sane, loving Christian to look them in the eyes and engage them as a person. My personal opinion is these people who are indifferent and apathetic, I think these are people that are good to challenge a little bit more. Uh, I think they need to be seen that their worldview or their beliefs aren't really adequate because they don't care one way or another. They're not going to invest time and energy in it. So they need to be made uncomfortable about what they believe and why. I think if you do that to somebody who's hostile, hostile, you're just poking an angry bear. Like you're trying to start a fight. But somebody who's seeking, if you just come alongside them and say, oh, I just want to be a loving Christian, oh, they're not going to be content with that. Like, they need to sit down with you and get in the word. Like, you need to go to John 3.16 or Romans Road or whatever it is to help them understand the gospel and how they can follow Jesus. Do you know people in each of these categories? I think part of how we care for people is recognizing that they're on a journey and finding out where they are on their journey, treating them as an individual and understanding their story. Every person is a spiritual being on a spiritual journey. That includes you. And there's a lot of people, a lot of experiences, a lot of beliefs that have shaped you, that have shaped your journey, shaped your story. And I would love for you to be able to share some parts of your story tonight. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read a statement. And if this statement is true of you, I'd ask that you stand up just as a way to kind of share part of your story with us. And so some of, these, um, some of these statements are a little more personal than others. And if it's too uncomfortable for you, I'm not going to make you stand up. Reality is I couldn't make you stand up if I wanted to anyways. Uh, but I would encourage you to be vulnerable, to recognize that we're all on a journey, we're all in process, none of us have arrived yet. And this can be a great way for us to share our story with other people in this room. So I'll read a question, stand up if it's true for you, and then I'll read another question, you can stand up. First one, I grew up in a Christian family. And feel free to look around, get a feel for, for this community that you're a part of. I am an only child. I have lived in a country different than the one I was born in. My parents are divorced. I've had someone close to me die. I still have some significant questions about Jesus, the Bible, or Christianity that haven't been answered yet. I've been following Jesus for more than 30 years.
I've been following Jesus for less than two years. I sometimes have a hard time believing that God could love me. I speak two or more languages. I have struggled with drugs or alcohol. Understanding my ethnicity and cultural values make my faith so much more rich. Someone from this church was the first person to tell me about Jesus. I think John's wife is so lucky to be able to spend every day of the rest of her life with him. <laughs> Thank you. Partial stand. Sorry, some of these are heavy. I just had to lighten it up a little bit. I want to invest in the spiritual lives of others. Sometimes I struggle to believe that Jesus can forgive me for things I've done. Following Jesus has cost me significantly. I'm not completely certain that I want to follow Jesus, but I at least want to make an educated decision about it. Someone at this church has played a significant role in helping me follow Jesus. Thank you. Yeah, give, your, give yourselves a round of applause. That's so I know some of those questions may have forced you to put yourself out there a little bit, and thank you for those of you who are vulnerable. And for the rest of us, like, let's, let's, honor, let's honor that. Um, I think our stories are not just for us. I think they're for us to share with other people. And each one of those statements, like, imagine just the stories behind each one of those. Like, that makes me curious. Like, I would love to hear more of your stories, because each one of those probably has a lot that goes into it that shaped who we are as people. And if there are that many differences among a, a group of people who have chosen to gather together in the same place at the same time to sing the same songs and worship the same God... Why would we assume that all non-Christians are the same? Why would we assume that those categories of Christian and non-Christian would really be helpful for us understanding people's stories? Again, I think those are true categories. People's lives are so intriguing. I think one of the most interesting and loving things we can do is find out where they are on their spiritual journey. Next point in the notes. Um, personally, I'm just convinced that the best way to engage in somebody's spiritual journey is as an explorer. So I want to ask you guys for a minute. I'd love to hear your thoughts. In normal life, what does an explorer do? Seek things out. They explore. They go to unknown places. 
They ask questions. They take risks. All of those things are true for us as we explore people's lives spiritually. It's risky. It may be impossible to be fully prepared. We don't always know what we're getting ourselves into. It's an adventure. We're exploring the unknown. We may be going somewhere that no other human being has ever gone. That's exciting, but it's risky. So if every person is a spiritual being on a spiritual journey, how do we find out where they are on the spectrum? Well, we do what I just did. You ask questions. Although technically I made statements, but you get the idea. As Christians, I think this is one of the things we are often so bad at. We're not known for asking questions and listening. And I think this is the one skill that opens the door to have incredible conversations about the person and work of Jesus. So I learned this eight years ago when I moved to Portland. I was at Portland State and really just kind of wanted to get a feel for what the spiritual climate was like in Portland. So I met a guy at PSU on the park blocks downtown and just started asking him questions about his life. Got to know him a little bit. Started asking him questions about his spiritual beliefs. What he believed and, and why. And about probably 30 minutes into the conversation, I asked him if he had any sort of belief in God. And he said, well, no, not really. Well, if I did, it wouldn't be the Christian God. Oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah, well, how come, like, why not the Christian God? He said, well... Christians aren't open-minded like you and me. So I've been talking to this guy for like 30 minutes, and he assumes I'm not a Christian. At this point, what does he know about me? All that he knows is that I ask questions and I listen. So from his perspective, like I can't be, I can't be a Christian. So I continue asking him questions. And he shares about some hard things that are going on in his life and I ask him, well, yeah, like, I mean, that's just true for everybody. Life's hard sometimes. Like, for you, do you have anything stable or consistent in your life that gives you hope? Or, like, that you go to to help you get through those hard times? He thought about it. And he said, no, not really. At this point, we're about 40 minutes into the conversation, and he asks me a question for the first time. He says, well, what about you? I say, honestly, man, it's Jesus. Like, as a human... I think the most frightening and the most permanent and unavoidable thing in life is, is death. None of us can escape it. We don't know when it's going to happen, and it's final. We don't come back from that. But Jesus lived and died and had power over death and came back to life and is alive today, and if death can't stop him, nothing can. He's the only one that's stable and consistent in my life. He's the only one that's completely reliable. She can imagine this guy's response at this point of, wait, you're, you're a Christian? And at that point, he was intrigued. He wanted to hear more. Howard Hendricks, a teacher and writer, said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I just think asking questions and listening is one of the most caring things we can do for another person, to value them and their story and their experience. So the logical next question is, well, what questions do you ask somebody to find out where they are on their spiritual journey? 
so don't open your bulletin. What questions would you ask to find out where someone is on their spiritual journey? What do you believe in? This is hard, right? (laughs) And I think for most of us, this is where we get stuck. Like we have a desire to engage in the spiritual lives of other people, but we just don't know where to start. Something that's been really helpful for me is if you grabbed a bulletin, there's a white card in there with a list of questions on the front and the back. And so for me, once I got, once I got my hands on this, it just opened the doors for me to have conversations with people. And so what we're going to do for the next few minutes, um, and if you don't have one of these, there's some more in the back uh, on that table. Feel free to go grab one here in just a minute. But I'm going to give you three minutes to read through this front and back, and I want you to circle the two questions that you like the most. And then once you do that, I want you to turn in groups of maybe two or three and just tell your neighbor, like, one of the questions you chose and tell them why you chose that one. Okay? So three minutes, choose your two favorites and share with somebody why you picked one of them. Okay, you guys seem like a pretty sharp group, so I want to ask you to memorize those two questions. And then my invitation for you this week is that you would ask those two questions to two people. People that you see on a regular basis. So maybe this is a neighbor, maybe it's somebody you have class with, maybe it's somebody you work with. That you would look for opportunities in a relationship to ask them two questions and listen intently. I realize that this um, seems like it may be incredibly simple, and it is. <laughs> and some of you, I'm sure, already do an incredible job of this. But if everyone in this room were to do that, I'm not very good at estimating numbers, but that could be 800 questions to 400 people, not to mention the other two services earlier today. How might God move if we were to engage in spiritual conversations? 1,400 people in the next week. What doors might God open? Did this at Clark um, last year. We've actually done it a couple times. But last year was, uh, gave the same challenge to students. And the following week, students came back and I asked, hey, did anybody have an opportunity to put this into practice last week? And one girl who was a high school student taking classes at Clark, which is pretty common, said, well, yeah, actually, right after that, I, I went to work at the mall. She actually might, oh no, she doesn't go to church here. Sorry, never mind. Um, And so she went to work at the mall and her manager said, oh, you know, hey, how's it going? How's your day been? She said, oh, really good. Like I just, I just learned all these questions. I'm really excited to ask somebody. (laughs) And uh, her manager says, oh, well, what are they? You should ask me. They spent the next hour and a half having a spiritual conversation on the clock at work. And her manager hadn't been to church in five years. But she went to church with her that Sunday. Can you imagine the awkward social dynamic as a high school student? One, just hanging out with your manager outside of work and taking them to your church with you? What an incredible, bold step of faith. And I don't say that to shame you guys into doing this. Well, though, if I'm honest, I do. (laughs) Part of my motivation. But, but what, if, what if all of us, likewise, 
stepped out in faith and said, God, would you please move? Would you help me get to know someone and their story more deeply? What doors might God open in this community, at your workplace, on your street, on your college, your high school? If you have any cool conversations over the next week, I would love to hear about it. I would love for you to share that with me next Sunday, and maybe we can celebrate some of those stories together. So in conclusion, my hope is that we can all walk away from here more aware every person is a spiritual being on a spiritual journey. And that we would be curious about their stories, their experiences, their beliefs. And that we would love them well simply by asking questions and listening and see what God might do. So next Sunday, we're going to continue in Acts 17. But we're going to talk about how do we make the transition from exploring where someone is on their spiritual journey to actually guiding them to Jesus. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much that while we were sinners, you died for us. That you took the initiative with us, the people that weren't looking for you, that by your grace, you have made yourself known called us to be a part of your family, that you are transforming us and inviting us to partner with you in the work that you've been up to since the very beginning, the work of making you yourself known to the people that you've created in your image. So Spirit, would you give us boldness this week? Would you help us to see people as image bearers of yours, spiritual beings created for you on a spiritual journey? And would you empower us to come alongside them in their journey, get to know them better, trust you to guide them to Jesus. For the sake of your name, amen.